So I want to tell you my story uh, of invitation. I was around 20 years old. I had just gotten a job in Rochester, New York. I grew up in western New York, and I got a job in uh, uh, Rochester, New York as a technician. And uh, I had a friend of mine who was going to school in Brockport, which is just a little bit east of Rochester, and I needed a place to live, and I didn't have a place or an apartment to live. And he says, well, I know this old little old lady, and she, she has this... Uh, church this old little old church and she lives upstairs and there's an apartment down below she probably would let you stay there until you get you know situated well um i got i came into town and i was introduced to her and uh i think it was on a friday or a saturday and she said and he told me my friend told me he says so she's going to want you to drive her to church i said okay and I was a Christian, but I was not, I was just like, I had trusted Christ, but I had, you know, that was a number of years ago and nothing really had, had happened in my life and significant in my life. And so, um, sure enough, she said, uh, you can stay here till you find a place. Um, and, uh, but I need you to drive me to church tomorrow. And the way that my friend told me that she drove, I think she needed somebody to drive her because she was crazy just crazy driver. She never looked. She never stopped. She just was crazy. And so I felt like I was doing her a favor, and I was, thought it would be a good idea anyway. So I drove her to church, and I went to church with her. And that began, her invitation began a, a, a spiritual journey in my life. It was through that journey that I began to connect with God's Word, and I began to connect with God's people and I began to grow as a follower of Jesus Christ. And it was through that, it was in that church that I was first baptized. It was in that church that I ultimately was married. It was in that church that um, I ultimately got ministry experience. It, it, was, it, was, it, it was through the invitation that began that whole thing. And I think if you were to think about your life, somebody invited you to a Bible study, to a church service, to something. And that is what has begun, began it with you. And, and so we think that Dave said 70%, and that's absolutely true. 70% of the people that are here at Hope are here because somebody invited them. And the, the, the surveys that have been done nationally basically say that 80% of the people that are out there have, are, they're just waiting to be invited. They're just waiting to be invited, and the, 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 they, they, they expect to be invited at, at Easter and Christmas. So uh, we, we have, on the weekends, we have four services. We have three here, and we have one down at the Rosha campus. And if we were to do Easter services, we would be absolutely swamped because everybody wants the... So we go down to the River Center. We have two services. And we have an invite card, and you can pick one up at the Connection Center. And it's got all the information on the back. Child care, just the services when they are. It's, I went to a church last weekend because I was visiting my son up in Minneapolis, and they were doing the same thing with an invite. But they had this big card. And I thought, I don't know, the big card. This is something I can carry in my pocket. I can pull it out and just say, hey, we're having Easter services. Love to have you come. And just give it to them. You can put it in your wallet. You can put it in your purse. It's very easy to, to give out. But I just want to tell you, that's one story of where an invitation began something in my life. I never dreamed at all. Never, you know, never thought when I first went to this church, oh, I think I'll be a pastor. 
But God began to do a work in my heart. And you never know what your invitation might do in a, in a person's life, in a family. Just do just incredible things. Incredible things. So the power of invitation. We have the power of invitation. And I guarantee you that if you invite them to the services at the River Center, they will walk out and say, wow, that is an amazing God that you love. All right. So let's talk about where we've been going the last few weeks. We've been talking about those last chapters of Isaiah, which is some of the most beautiful, uh, memorable chapters in, in the whole Old Testament, uh, let alone Isaiah. And we call them the songs of the servant or the servant songs because they have this, this balance between one moment we're talking about this king, this one who's going to set things right, this person of justice. But then the next minute we hear that he's going to suffer and he's going to be mistreated and he's going to be maligned and he's going to be beaten without, to a point where you're not even going to be able to recognize him. And you say, how do we make sense of all of this? And so we want to look at that. And then we read the New Testament. Of course, the New Testament tells us it's Jesus that Isaiah was talking about this Messiah figure, this servant, and his name is Jesus. And so we know who that is. So let me tell you where we're going to go this weekend. Our passage is going to deal with a number of really important things. First, uh, it's going to speak about a hunger that every one of us has, a hunger and a thirst. It's going to talk about a new community that will accept us. Because there's a lot of places that you're not accepted. You've been rejected. Maybe it's a circle of friends. Maybe it's people at work. Maybe, But I just want to tell you there's a new community that God has created that is there to accept you. It's about, number three, it's about a power that can transform your life. And I'm, just, I'm, I'm a witness of how God's Word can transform your life. And little by little, day by day, week by week, month by month, God's Word can transform you. And then it's an invitation that we must each accept personally. So let's talk about those four points. And uh, you have an outline, and we just I think I have four points there. Let's go through those. Let's talk about those. It may be that as we go down through there, that maybe don't worry about you know getting all those and saying, well, okay, what do I have to do? It's not about what you have to do. Don't. Just say, just pray this prayer. God, may your spirit just speak to my heart and my life in the way that you want me to take your word today. And he will take it to where it needs to go. Okay, let's do that. So the servant of the Lord, first thing, the servant of the Lord brings an invitation to us. So we're in Isaiah 55. I want to read Isaiah 55, the first three verses. um, And you can follow along with me. We do have chair Bibles, but uh, it's always better if you have your own so you can mark it. But here's what uh, Isaiah says. Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me. And eat what is good, and you will delight in the riches of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen, that you might live. So, God invites us to uh, know Him 
in this passage. And the invitation is very interesting. So as I was thinking about this, I, I was thinking, how does God reveal himself to us? The invitation is that God wants us to know him. And he wants to know us to know him because there's a hunger and a thirst that we have in our lives that only he can fill. And so the question is, how does God reveal himself to us? Well, he does it in four ways. Four ways that God reveals. And I don't have this in your notes, but you might want to write this down. Four ways that God reveals himself to us. First off, if you didn't notice it today, God reveals himself through nature. I mean, you, you couldn't walk outside today and say, what a beautiful day right? We've been waiting for this. We deserve this day. <laughs> we need this day, right? And, and, and what does Psalm 19 says? Psalm 19, 1 and 2 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour, pour, pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. So in other words, the writer of the psalmist is saying, you can't look at the skies and not see God, right? So God reveals himself through nature. We're, not, we're only talking about the skies. We're not talking about the animals. We're not talking our, our own human bodies, all those different things, the complexities, the, all those things. But secondly, God reveals himself through our conscience and through our ethics. Let me read you a verse, and let's just mention, talk about that for a minute. Romans chapter 2, verse 14. Just write it down. Don't go there, but you can look at it later. Paul is saying something very interesting. He says this. He says, indeed, when the Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. Paul is essentially saying the Gentiles weren't given the law. The Jews were given the Ten Commandments. They were given the laws. The Gentiles weren't given the law. They shouldn't know the law. But then he says this. Notice what he says. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts their consciences also bearing witness and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and other times even defending them. Now, one of the things that I know about every one of us is we want justice. When we see injustice, we are appalled at it, we are angered by it, we are saddened by it, we are frustrated by it, and, and we want justice. We want a, ju a righteous judge and we want justice. We do not like it when bad people get away with things. We don't like it. The other thing we know, if we're honest, is that there are times that our, our own heart, our own conscience tells us, you shouldn't have done that. Or you shouldn't do that. <laughs> right? We know that. And, and, and so there's a p point where Paul basically says it's written on your heart. And, and he, his point is, where did you get that from? And, and the answer is, it's come, it comes from God. That God has given us an internal compass, an eternal ethical compass that we know when things are right and we know when things are wrong. You know, we don't have to tell, you know, we don't have to be told generally. We know when it's right and we know when it's wrong. There's a certain ethical compass that God has given to us. So God reveals himself through nature. He reveals, reveals himself through our, our own conscience, our own heart, our own uh, ethics. Number three, he reveals himself through Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Isaiah is one of those prophets, right, that he spoke through. 
But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. So there's two things very interesting. Number one, he's saying that God has given us revelation through the skies, revelation through our hearts, and then revelation through his son. He's revealed himself through his son, the same son who created the heavens, the same son who created us, right? So the revelation is getting more and more specific. It's going from general to specific or special, right? And then one last thing, and this is the last verse, uh, last point I want to make in this, is that God reveals himself through his written word. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. Let me read that to you. He says also, this is Paul again, also we give thanks, we also thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as human word, as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. In other words, Paul says, we spoke to you God's words, but you didn't take it as something Paul said. You said, God spoke through Paul to me. And by the way, God still does that through his word. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But God speaks to us through his special revelation, through his son and through his word. All right. So the point is that God has revealed himself to us, but he reveals himself to us so that we can understand that there's a thirst and a hunger in our hearts that we can't fill our, on our own. We try to, but we can't. There's a spiritual hunger in our lives and in our world. Um, the offer, though, is freely given to us by God, and he picks up the cost. And here's the thing. There's a lot of watering holes in this world. There's a lot of things that promise that, will, that, that they say, drink here and it will quench your thirst. Eat here and it will, it'll, it will take care of your hunger. And you eat a little bit and you drink a little bit. And you say, well, that works a little bit, but it doesn't sustain me. It, it, there's an emptiness. And that could be your job. It could be your, it could be your you know, even you know, good things can become uh, water, you know, polluted water holes if we ask them to be th what God asked them not to be. And so we've asked certain people or things to be the watering hole, the bread, and they can't find, they can't fill it. You see, God doesn't want us, God doesn't just give us what we need, He overgives us. He gives graciously and He fills us beyond our needs and dreams. And that's why it's so important. So what does Jesus do? Jesus comes to earth and he says this. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and you still do not believe. All that those that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Here's what I see today, and I see this more today than I think I've ever seen it before. I think a lot of people say, oh, I've tried Jesus, I've tried God, I've tried, I tried Christianity, and it hasn't worked for me. And I just want to say that Jesus is saying something really specific here. He's saying there's a spiritual hunger 
There is a spiritual thirst in every one of our souls that there's only one person in the universe can fill it. And it isn't your relationship with your husband or your wife or your friend or your neighbor. It isn't your job or career. It isn't your status. It isn't any of those things. It isn't your health. It isn't any of those things. There's only one thing, and it's your creator. And when you go to your creator, Jesus says, I will fill that void in your life. I will fill that hunger. I will quench that thirst. Jesus is making a promise. So the question I ask you as we, we talk about this is, are you spiritually hungry and thirsty? If you do, if you are, you need to look to the right bread of life. You need to look to the right watering hole. Remember what Jesus said to the woman at the well? He says, I will give you living water. Because you're trying to fill your soul, your life. You're trying to quench that thirst with all these relationships with men. And it's not working. You're on number five. You're on number six. It's not working. He says, come to me and I'll fill that void. So that's the first thing. The first thing that we want to see is he brings an invitation to us. And he brings it in four ways. And he offers this invitation because he wants us to know that he is the only one that can give fill that void in our life. Secondly, he becomes a witness to all nations. Notice verse 3 of uh, Isaiah 53, 55. Excuse me. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made you a witness to people, to the peoples, a ruler and a commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations. Uh, you will summon nations you know not. And nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for He has endowed you with splendor. So as we read the Old Testament, we see God making a promise with His people. It began with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. He says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless those that bless you. I'm going to curse those that curse you. And all the peoples of the world, all the peoples of the, the, the planet Earth are going to be blessed through you. We don't know how that was going to play out. And by the way, when God makes that promise, Abraham has no children. <clears throat> he has no nation. And, and all of a sudden, God makes this promise to him, right? But what this verse says is very interesting because it says that God is reaching out not just to his people, the nation of Israel. We see the nation of Israel develop. Moses takes them out of Egypt. And we we talked about that a while ago in a series we did in in Exodus. Uh, And we see the nation out in the wilderness. And we see the king, King David, and the other kings. And we see all these different things. And it's all been focused on Israel. And Gentiles have been outsiders But what Isaiah says is God is going to open the door to all the outsiders. All the outsiders are going to be welcomed in. And and, and here's the verse where we see that happening. Ephesians chapter 2, I'll start reading Ephesians 3, 2. He says this, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by, uh, by revelation as I have already written briefly. In other words, Paul says there's a mystery. There was something that hasn't been revealed up to this point. But now we know it. Now we understand it. Now we see what God was doing. Now we understand what Isaiah was saying. We understand what he meant by all the nations are going to come. And he says this, In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which has not been known to the people in any other generations as it has been revealed 
by the Spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that the gospel, uh, that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise of Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying is really incredibly, incredibly important. He's saying Gentiles are in. Up to this point, the Gentiles were outsiders. If you were a Gentile, you were an outsider. You weren't part of God's community. And so what Paul is saying is God is doing something incredible here. He's bringing outsiders in. He's bringing those who have never been part of the, 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 this, this blessed community into the community. Now, we today often take that for granted. My guess is the vast majority of us are Gentiles. And so we just say, well, we've always been included, so we don't get it. Uh, it's not a big thing to us. We take it for granted. But that wasn't the way it always was. In fact, you know, when you look at the early church, you read the book of Acts, the, the apostles had a really difficult time understanding this simple principle. It's simple to us as we look back, uh, and we can be judgmental of that, but we have, we have a lot more revelation and knowledge than they have and we can be judgmental, but we shouldn't. But they didn't understand it. They didn't understand that, that Jesus was blowing up their model of what the, this community of fo followers of Jesus Christ were, that he was including Gentiles. And as you read through the book of Acts, they were struggling with what are we going to do with these Gentiles? Well, they finally kind of came to a plan in Acts chapter 15 and the Jerusalem Council, and they said, yeah, Gentiles are in. Uh, but it was a real struggle. It was a real ethnic struggle. And, and, but, but the point I want you to see is that God has created a new community that, is, that, it, that, it, that allows any ethnic group, any nation, any people group. It doesn't matter what nation you are, what ethnic you are. It doesn't matter because if you're in Christ, you're part of a new community. We're all brothers and sisters. That's why I can go over to Africa and I can talk to those pastors in the church and speak to my brothers sisters in Christ who don't speak English and we're brothers and sisters we look very different but we're brothers and sisters because we're part of God's new community we were eth ethnic, eth ethnically outsiders but now because of God, the grace of God we've been engrafted in this new community and it's an incredible, the incredible implications of how we are to treat people of different cultures and different cult countries. And, and the church, if nothing else, the church ought to be a place where it doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter where you're from. You're accepted here. You're part of the body of Christ. See, we're all part of this community. We belong to one another. We're part of something bigger than ourselves. Um, and it's always interesting to me how I come across people on a regular basis say, well, I love Jesus, but I don't love his church. And, and, I, and as I read the New Testament, and I go, well, you don't understand what God was doing in the Old Testament. I certainly don't understand this passage in Isaiah. 
You certainly don't understand the book of Acts. You certainly don't understand most of the New Testament epistles where it talks about love one another, pray for one another, bear one another's burdens, care for one another. Uh, you know, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Uh, it, Jesus calls his church his bride. Go to a wedding sometime and insult the bride. See how that goes off. Yeah, she's pretty, she's kind of heavy, isn't she? She's not a very good-looking girl. He, you know, ooh, he could have done better than that. Hey, you, you don't do that, right? And, and in, in a sense, what people say, well, I love Jesus. I love the groom. I'm not too crazy about the bride. That's kind of what we do. But here's, here's the point. This is the new community. Yes, it's got, it's got issues. We have issues. We're all sinners. We're part of a hospital, really, in a sense. We're all getting healed. We're all becoming more like Jesus. We're not there yet. But God has called us together. We have a, we, and this is push against, pushes against our culture. And I don't want to go too long here, but our culture basically says it's individualism. It's individualism. Do what makes you happy. Do what, what's good for you. And what the Bible says, no, 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 time out. You're part of a new community. Your actions, your decisions, your behavior, your life is not your own. You belong to me, but you also belong to one another. You have a responsibility to one another. And one day you'll be held accountable for that. Uh, look, at, look at what Paul says. It's interesting in Titus chapter 3. You don't have to turn there. and let, Just write it down. Titus 3, uh, 3 through 7. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing and rebirth and the renewal of it by the Holy Spirit whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. In other words, He's saying you're part of a new community. You're part of a new family. You're part of a new... There's something bigger than you out there. So... The, the witness goes to all the nations. So the question I have for you is, you've been brought in, you've been engrafted into this, 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 uh, this branch, but also we become part of a new community. Who are you inviting to be part of that? Here's the third thing. This servant of the Lord speaks the word of the God. He speaks the word of God. Look at verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return empty but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Do you ever wonder, what is God doing? What in the world is God doing? What is he thinking? Well, if, if you do, you're in really good company. Because we've all been there. And oftentimes it's when we go through difficult times or struggles. 
right? But this means, though, what Isaiah says, if it's true, and I believe it is, that means there's a lot of things that you're just not going to understand about God. By the way, when you get to heaven, don't, don't assume that you're all going to understand everything. You would be God. You would have all knowledge. We're not going to have all knowledge in heaven. We're still going to be learning in heaven. My Hebrew prof and my Greek prof had a, had a debate about what language they spoke in heaven. My Hebrew prop would often say you can either learn it now or learn it in heaven. That was his, his thing, you know. You're going to learn Hebrew because that's what they're going to speak in heaven. I don't know what language they're going to speak in heaven. Maybe they'll speak many languages in heaven. But here's the good news. God has already told you what you need to know to be obedient to his word. You know what. You already know what you need to do. He's revealed enough for us to live our lives. He's given us his word, which will not return empty. Some of your translations might translate it void. The, the God's, and the point is that God's word, when it goes, it has a purpose. It has, it has a power behind it. God's word is not just words. His word is alive. It's powerful. It's transformational. Uh, let me uh, read the verse that you have here. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. And then let me talk about it for a minute. For the word of God is active and alive. Excuse me, I, I mixed that up. It's alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even dividing the soul and the spirit joints and marrow it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart nothing in all creation is hidden from god's sight everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him who, who to whom we must give an account now a few weeks ago i talked about how we at hope have a high view of scripture and what we mean is we believe that this book is god's word this is god's word this isn't just another book. This is not just a book about God, a book that talks about Jesus. This is God's very Word. And, and, and I think I gave you a few examples of that. One of them I gave you is uh, the temptation of Jesus, where uh, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led away by the Spirit into the wilderness, to be tempted by the devil after fasting 40 days and 40 nights he was hungry the tempter came and said to him if you are the son of god uh and by the way it's very interesting as you read the greek language the 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 greek language can tell you whether you know he believes it or doesn't believe it you know that you can get all that but the point i want you to see is he he calls into question if you are the son of god tell these stones to become bread Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What does he do? He quotes scripture. Quotes scripture. See, God's word is not just words. They are given to us by God. They are powerful. They are, they, here's the big mistake. This is a mistake I think we're making today. And I kind of went off at staff meeting for a little bit because I wanted to make a point. Um, I believe that many people are missing the power of the Word of God today. Um, the power of the Word of God does not come by talking about the Word of God. Like, for instance, if 
if I were to go through that passage and just describe what happened in Jesus' temptation by the devil, you would get a pretty good understanding of what took place. But you would miss out on the power of the Word of God. What I just did was I read you the very words of God that told us exactly what happened and exactly what Jesus said. There's power when we read the words of God, not when we talk about the Bible or talk about a story. We could talk about the, let's just say the Good Samaritan. We could talk about the Good Samaritan, right? We could describe the story, make it dramatic, and make sure it's entertaining. And there's nothing wrong with being entertaining. I'm not, but we can describe the story of the, the Good Samaritan. Or we can take the story of the Good Samaritan and we can read it. Word or word or word. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says the word of God is powerful and active and alive. The Word of God is alive. That When you read the Word of God, it is not just words. It's God's words given to us. This is so important to me. I believe that what we're doing is we're talking a lot about the Word of God, but we're not reading the words of God. Remember the book of Revelation says, Blessed are you if you read these words. Now let me just stop for a minute and say, some of you are sitting there going, I'm not a very good reader. I'm not a very good reader. Okay. We're not going to get legalistic here. Listen to it. <laughs> Have somebody else read it to you so you hear the words. One of the reasons that I read so many passages of Scripture is because the power is not in the message. The power is not in the pastor. The power is in the Word of God. When the Word of God is spoken, God's Word is unleashed. And I believe that the Word of God isn't being read. It's not being... It's not being uh, read word for word for word it's been it's being summarized it's being blipped in now and then it it's the stories are being told in a different way and there's nothing wrong but i believe that there needs to be a time if we believe as jesus did that this is man does not live by every by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of god if we really believe what jesus said that we ought to allow the Word of God to speak to our hearts on a daily basis. I don't know how many meals you eat every day. I eat more than I should. But I eat at least three probably. You probably do too. Maybe you're on some weird diet where you don't. I don't really care. Don't talk to me about it. I'm just saying, you can't, I can't live on a diet where I'm just reading one day a week. There has to be moments. It doesn't have to be early in the morning at 5 o'clock, doesn't it? Take some time and take the Word of God and read and reflect on the Word of God. So here's your assignment. Here it is really quick. Uh, just write it down. Psalm 19. Psalm 19. I just want you this weekend to take Psalm 19. Psalm 19 and I just want you to you pray this prayer at the beginning. God, as I read your active and powerful word, speak to my heart. Speak to my heart. That's it. And just read it and meditate on it. And when I say meditate, I mean just reflect. Just think about it. Just roll it around in your mind. What is God saying? What does that mean? But read his word. We give out the daily bread. Maybe you've seen the daily bread. 
And some of you get the daily bread. And what, you, what do you do? It says, there's a passage to read. And some of you go, oh, I don't have time to read that. What, they have one verse there. Let's read the one verse and we'll read the, the lesson that I need to hear. I'm suggesting that maybe what you need to do is you need to read the Word of God because the power is in the Word of God. All right, number four. The servant tells us, or the servant comes to set us free. Now, it's very interesting to me. The, the servant didn't come to deliver a message. He didn't come and say, here's the message from God. <laughs> he didn't say that. In fact, what did he say? Jesus, when he was on earth, said, I'm not here to tell you, I'm not here to tell you about a bread. I am the bread. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you about a lamb. I'm going to tell you I am the lamb. So he doesn't come to tell us about a deliverer. He comes and becomes the deliverer, right? So Jesus is a servant who doesn't just come with a message. He is the message. He doesn't, tell us, uh, he doesn't tell us of God's love. He demonstrates to us God's love by giving His life. He didn't just warn us of our sin and, uh, and impending judgment. He took our judgment on the cross. So we have a God who doesn't just tell us what to do, tell us what we need to know. He enters into our world and shows Himself and demonstrates what He's doing. Jesus, our servant, became our Savior. What must our response be? Well, Isaiah tells us. Isaiah gave, gives a, an invitation, and here it is. Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found, which tells us there's a day when he won't be found. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord. That's repentance, turning to the Lord. And he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon. Our response to the word of God always has to be to turn to God, to repent to seek the Lord while he may be found. Our response must be to seek and to forsake our wicked ways, to turn to the Lord and to repeat. And whenever we do, uh, whatever we do, uh, and whenever we do repent and turn to God, he will freely pardon us. Grace is not freely obtained, uh, but it is freely given. Jesus paid for our grace, but he freely gives us his grace. 2 Corinthians essentially says the same thing. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 6. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. So some of you, a long time ago, you prayed to God. God, if you'll just do this. I will follow you. I will give my life to you. I will walk with you. And you have walked away from God. And maybe, maybe today, maybe right now is the day you need to turn and repent and come back to Him. Maybe you made promises that you broke. Well, the good news is that even when you make those promises, Paul says this. He says, I tell you, now is the day of God's favor. Today is the day of salvation. And you can turn at any time you know, we were talking about this, and I'll close with this thought. Some people think, 
this is, uh, uh, I think a lot of people struggle with this. It kind of came up recently. Somebody was saying, well, I've, I've done too many horrible things. God will never receive me back. I just, uh, I've done, I, I'm just not in a very good place. And uh, I just have made so many bad choices. And, and, and I just can't believe that God would ever receive me back. And, and what I want you to do is I want you to think, if you're a parent or you had good parents, hopefully I've got most of us, if not, I'm sorry. When you, somebody that you love is wrecking and destroying their life and you're praying for them, you want them just to turn, you want them to get their life straightened out, you want them to come back. When they turn their life around and come back, what do you do? Finally, oh, well, if you're going to come back, we're going we're gonna to talk about this. I just want to tell you, I want to tell you how much you hurt me. How much, how disappointed I am with you. I'm sorry. Most of us, if we were praying for a son or a daughter to repent and to come back, just turn their lives around. Maybe they've got a life of addiction or really horrible choices. And they come back and they say, I've made such horrible mistakes. I've just destroyed my life. And they come back to you like the prodigal son. Do you think there's a reason why the father is there with his arms open? He's a much better father than any fathers in this world. When your son or your daughter or somebody you love finally turns their life around, they get it back, you rejoice. You're so happy. You, this is what you've been praying for. This is the answer to the, one of the greatest prayers of your life. That's how you receive them back. That's how God receives us back. So the enemy wants you to feel, no, you don't want to do that. Today's not the day. Some other day. Wait a little bit. Live a little longer. And what Isaiah says, what Paul says, no, today is the day to turn. Today is the day is, is to come back to the father. The, the kid couldn't even get the, the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son. The kid couldn't even get the words out of his mouth before his father had a robe and a ring on his finger. That's the God we serve. So where are you? Have you turned to him? Have you found the freedom and forgiveness in life that only he can give? The invitation has been given. The payment has been made. What are you waiting for? Let's pray. So, Father, help us because there's not a person in this room that doesn't need to repent of something. There may be a person in this room that needs to, to come back. Maybe come for the first time. Thank you, Father, that you willingly receive them with open arms. They don't deserve it, but you do it anyway because you are so happy that they have found the bread of life. They have found the living water. They have found life. They have found Jesus. Father, if there's anyone here who's never trusted Jesus, may today be the day that they may pray a prayer like this. Dear, dear Father, I repent. I turn to you. And I give my life to you. You gave your life to me. I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And I realize you're the only hope that I have. And I, I ask Jesus to come into my life and to take away my sin and to forgive me and to give me life. And Father, if anyone prayed a prayer like that, may they, 
just let somebody know, a friend, a neighbor, somebody, somebody maybe even in this room, and say, I pray to receive Jesus so that maybe they can help them take the next steps. Somebody was there for me when I prayed that prayer, and that was helpful. For the rest of us, though, Father, maybe prayed that prayer recently or a long time ago. May we understand that today is the day that we, are, we need to repent. Today is the day we need to turn back to you. Today is the day that your open arms are just waiting for us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.